The following story has been brought to you by storiestoinspire.org. When I went to the country, when I used to go to the country, country means castles, right? There were no houses. There was something called, it's almost an extinct thing now, it's called a bungalow. What is a bungalow, anyone? A bungalow is a humble cottage that reminded us that we can do very well with thin, shaky walls, a leaky roof, and a stove that keeps going out as long as... As long as people work together, we can do very well with it, okay? The guy in the bungalow who knocked the nail into his wall, and the guy came around from the other side and says, I don't mind, but can I hang my hat on the other side? You know, like, just... Bungalows reminded you that friends and family are what makes really all the difference when it comes to a meaningful life. And as long as the bungalow kept the skunks out at night, it was just fine. Bungalows taught us we can be happy with very little. A bungalow also taught us that our trip on this world is a bungalow. It's the home we build for the future. That counts up there. In the real good old, real good old days, friends and family set out with an assortment of old pickup trucks, and you went to look for a bungalow. Today we don't know, we don't know which bungalow we're going because I'm in a chesedish colony, I'm in a literature colony, I'm in a I'm in a halfway, I'm I'm in a more open-minded colony, I'm in a closed-minded. Account. Everyone has their, you know, we put ourselves in a box. And those days, otherwise, you got into a van, you drove up, and if families wanted you drove, and you were looking for you look for a bungalow colony. So these pickup trucks came fully loaded. They, they, they were yeshivish trucks. They had the, the lights on the fenders. You didn't need a minion place. Now there's an official minion place on the thruway. You didn't need it because all of these cars, all these yeshivish cars, overheated on the worst borough hill on the way up. And everyone's stuck in the same place. You have a mincha. There was no problem. You didn't need a special mincha place. It was, it was okay. And you know, they were loaded with boxes of clothes, mattresses, bicycles. And, and this particular caravan had some very prestigious fine families. On this given year, they were stumped. They could not find whatever. Last year's bungalow didn't work. They couldn't find a bungalow. By chance, they noticed what seemed to be some deserted cottages behind some overgrown shrubbery. And after some inquiries, they were told that the property was owned by a certain Mr. Klein, who was the general country store down the road. By the way, the story I never read in a book, but I heard it from several people that were there. So they came into Mr. Klein, who owned the general store was wearing short pants, you know, and a Hawaiian shirt, you know, an older man, and Mr. Klein was somewhat taken aback by the delegation. It was clear from his Yiddish, the Yiddish was his mamalosh in his first language, but from his dress, he looked like someone that for 20 years was trying to look like anything but a Yid. And from his accent, they reasoned he was born in Europe, and though his body survived intact, his neshama suffered from, from the war. I said this last night, I don't know if it was posted or not, but you know, this guy is trying to trying to act like he doesn't want to act, doesn't want to look Jewishy. His hair is wild. He puts on this tight T-shirt, tight, you know, pants. He's standing there in, in Orlando, and he's like rolling his, his head, and, and this guy comes over to him. It looks exactly like him. He says, if he makes a crack about Jews, I know I'm doing good. The guy comes over to him and says, I want to tell you something. He goes, yeah, buddy, what? He says, no, you want to tell you there's a minion from Mincha at Grandstand at 2 o'clock. You know, you can't hide it. You're you, you can't hide it, okay? So Mr. Klein was reluctant to rent his bungalows to front people. He wanted to run away from this world. And he successfully did it for two days. It was a remote country road. They turned down here by mistake. But of course, there's no mistakes. But Mr. Klein and his wife decided maybe they should try it. You know, the bungalows were empty. They needed the extra cash. But he said, you guys got to fix it up. And you cannot pester me about Shabbos or Yiddishkeit. They said, okay, you know, You don't want us. Uh, nisht. And they unloaded it. And they fixed up the bungalows. And... They told the kids, don't chep him, and they tried to be very respectful to Mr. Klein. Although they never discussed Shabbos with him, he watched Shabbos, and that was penetrating. 
He watched the kids play. He watched the little boys running around, and, and they would wave to the elderly couple, and the girls would bring him, bring Mrs. Klein cupcakes that they made in day camp, and they were moved. And sometimes when they were watching the kids play, people wondered, do they have allergies, or are they crying? And some of the locals pulling up in their pickup trucks were saying, well, it's two days in a row or two weeks in a row, Mr. Klein, on Saturday your store is closed for repairs? Like, what repairs? Why are you doing it only on Saturday? Anyway, the, slum, the summer flew by, and the sun started to set earlier, and the chilly wind in the evening brought, brought in the cry of, come in right now and put on your sweater, right? Everyone knew what that meant, no denying it. The summer is over, Slichas is here. And they had a nice Shabbos, a Matzah Shabbos. And Friday night, lo and behold, Mr. Klein walks into Shul, wearing a suit and tie. They know he has a suit and tie. And his wife walks in with her hair covered, and she's standing in the Ezra Snushim. And this same curtain that was used for Jackie Mason, you know, and is now being used for a mechitza, like So Friday night for Kabbalah Shabbos, they're there the entire time. And Mr. Klein seemed very shaken the entire Shabbos. They, they never discussed Yiddishkeit with him, but their actions were louder. And it came time from Malava Malka. So Mr. Klein comes in for the Malava Malka, and he gets up, he says he wants to say a few words. And he says, you know, this is the first time in 20 years him and his wife kept Shabbos, and his wife lived Hanukkah. He said, you don't know what I went through during the war. And everyone wished an emotional goodbye to each other. And in the middle of the night, they heard sirens. And people came running out to see what was doing. This, the ambulance was in front of Mr. Klein's uh, bungalow, and his wife came out wailing and crying. It's all over. Dark, sudden heart attack. So the next morning, everyone canceled their van back to the country. They stayed with Mrs. Klein. People got involved. I heard the story first time when people took care of the kfura, they tried to get a hold of his son, whatever, and, and they invited her to come to Brooklyn for Shabbos, they stayed a few extra days, and they told her, we're going to make sure we say Kaddish for him. Fast forward three months down the road, one of the people gets a call from Mrs. Klein, she's screaming so hysterically, she doesn't know what happened, she says, what happened, what happened? Her husband came to her in a dream and said that, uh, that no one said Kaddish today for him. He said it's just a dream, don't worry about it. So he looked into it. It turned out there was a mistake. What was the mistake? It was one day, there was two days Rishchidosh. So one person was supposed to say the previous month, the other one was supposed to say the next month. On day number 30, which is Rishchidosh of the new month, there was like a mix-up. No one said on that day. So there was a year, the Sadr Nerov. I doubt that the Sadr Nerov. He used to hold, on, his, on the day of his yard side, he gave a little kid that she would say, remember? So the Sadr Nerov said, I'm going to say Kaddishman. The Sadim Nerov took care of, he had a matzah bakery, and he went out to the fields to take care of the wheat. And that night, a few months later, again, this guy gets a call, same guy. The wife is crying. He said, again, you missed the Kaddish. So they told the Sadim Nerov, he said that he was out there taking care of the wheat, and it started to pour. He had to oversee the covering of the wheat. If not, everything would have been lost. He just, he, he couldn't have a mincha with a minion. So he said, you know, they don't give permission, Stamazai, for people to come down and say Kaddish. So I said, you don't know in those 20 years that he was Mechal Shabbos, we can't judge anyone for what the war did today. Even the war pictures today give us a little bit of an idea, maybe. But there was a yearning in his heart for Shabbos. There was a yearning in his heart for Shabbos. And that yearning grew, grew stronger and stronger. I'll call it Rege Verega. Uncle Shabbos was Shabbos. So much so that the last Shabbos of his life, because the Baruch who arranged things for him that he's trying to Shabbos. And he comes up to Ganadin with such a kayach that they give him a shush to come down. They don't do it for everyone. And I think the lesson, the lesson is that first of all, you don't turn down the road by mistake. It doesn't happen. And second of all, the lesson within us is just don't let the Yetzirah say you blew it. Because in your heart, if you're even thinking about the fact, oh yeah, I blew it, that shows you want to be good. You want to be good? So the Eivish to help and the things should work out the right way, but it should come long, long before the last Shabbos. It should be the first Shabbos. Night of Pesach is called the Shabbos. Should be a caution, freilich, and yamte for everyone. Yamte for your tefillah, I say, answer it. Yamte that'll set the seder of your lives for simcha, 
Benachas and for Bracha. Thank you, everyone, for coming. Enjoyed this story? Come again. Bring a friend. Stories to inspire.org.